From the Times of Northwest Indiana and nwi.com slash podcasts, you're listening to Byline, the podcast about the newspaper's most fascinating stories and the reporters who tell them. I'm Kale Wilk, and this week Byline looks at local community victories being won by the area's banks. We'll talk with a reporter that's documented their progress. But this is one case where something, you know, a business, an establishment that's been around in northwest Indiana for more than a century has kind of like triumphed and succeeded. As well as those behind the decision making to make their banks successful entities. You have to earn your stripes every day. You've got to go out and uh, be profitable, grow, return a good value to your shareholders. If you're driving north on Indianapolis Boulevard, you pass through East Chicago and exit the bend that turns the road slightly northeast in the direction of the Illinois state line, you'll briefly pass through the city of Whiting. But the first sign that you've officially made it into the city's limits is when you reach the intersection Indianapolis Boulevard has with a street called Shrog Avenue. It's a main north-south street through Whiting. If you turn on it, On your left there's homes, and on your right is the BP oil refinery. And then eventually, after a few blocks, you reach a house on the left that's set apart from the others. There's gates around it. It's a neat setting. It's called the Henry Schrag House, and the city has maintained it well. If you didn't otherwise know the history of that house, and the name of the street for that matter, perhaps driving up and down it might not seem like much. But this house is one spot where there's a route connected to a much larger story in the region, because the man and the family that lived in that house helped change the area and bring about the rise of Centier Bank. So why is this bank important? Well, that's because it recently achieved the rank as the number one bank in northwest Indiana. And the person that reported on this was, well, maybe you can already take a guess. At this point, he's got a record going for being the most featured reporter on Byline. None other than our talented business writer, Joseph Pete. One of my many beats at the Times is banking, and that's principally the uh, the community banks in the area. Joseph has put out a few stories on the local banks in the past two months. But in the last week of May, he wrote that Centier supplanted Chase Bank for the number one spot. The Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation reported in its summary of deposits that Centier had achieved $2.5 billion in local deposits, which earned around 19% of the local market share in Lake Porter and Laporte counties. It's edged just a little ahead of Chase, which is $2.4 billion in local deposits and around 18% of the local market share. Those numbers represent the three counties that comprise the region, and they're only three out of the 92 counties of the state. But for one of Indiana's most densely populated sections, edging ahead of a national entity really proves to be a victory for the local community, especially at a time when left and right there's mergers, acquisitions, buyouts, and closings. The the industry has been shrinking for some time. We, we, we at one point had 55 different independent community banks in uh, Lake, Porter, 
and LaPorte counties, that today is down to just five that remain headquartered here. Um, some of this has been brought on by it's increasingly becoming a technological industry. These ba banks need to have apps. Um, they need to be doing mobile and online banking. They need great resources to be able to do that. Um, banks like Chase and the National Behemoths have, you know, or even the super regional ones with a lot more resources like Fifth Third Bank have been a lot more successful in drumming up business and garnering customers. There have been bankers repeatedly have brought up issues with federal regulations, particularly with um, all the, after the financial crisis, they were, it, they were required to put together a lot more um, documentation and so forth, which has been somewhat burdensome for the smaller community banks. They say they don't have the staff, and um, a lot of them have just been fading away from the landscape. In the case of Centier Bank, it was started by Henry Schrag in Whiting as the Bank of Whiting in 1895. It began with around $35,000 in capital and $5,600 in first day's deposits. The bank grew, and it was incorporated and obtained a state banking charter in 1917. Throughout the 20th century, it expanded throughout Lake County, buying and merging with other entities, and then eventually started making its way east through Porter County. Have they kind of grew exponentially, they grew across the region, they kind of hopped from community to community, from Whiting down to Hammond in East Chicago and further south, and at this point they have more than uh, 50 locations across northwest Indiana and the, the state, and they pretty much uh, saturated the market here in uh, northwest Indiana. In 1991, the First Bank of Whiting renamed itself as Centier Bank. The name was derived from three different words. Century, to symbolize the bank's upcoming 100th year in existence. Center, a reference to where the bank was founded, Center Street in Whiting. And finally, Premier, to recognize its position as a top-ranking service provider for those in the region. But even so... Local banks were being encroached upon by larger entities such as Chase, Fifth Third, and Citibank. But while the onset of the Great Recession in 2008 and the housing market collapse made the big banks take a step back, it kind of helped Centier take a little step forward. Um, for years and years and years, the largest bank in the Northwest Indiana market, as it is in many areas, is uh, Chase, a big national bank. They had acquired, um, well, you know, through all these acquisitions, Eventually, the larger banks gobbled up the smaller ones. You had uh, the Gary State Bank, which was eventually purchased by Gainair Bank and was eventually acquired by Chase, which automatically gave it 30 branches overnight. And since then, it's been the dominant, um, had the dominant market share in northwest Indiana. But then came along the Great Recession, or the, uh, yeah, the Great Recession and the financial crisis, and that led um, banks to, especially the big banks like Chase, kind of cut back on their lending significantly. And that drove a lot of customers from them to Centier because it was still willing to, to lend money. Now, here we are in 2017. Centier sits atop the throne. And it's still remarkably locally owned, having been passed down to the next patriarch in line, going from Henry Schrag to Walter Sr., then to Walter Jr., and finally down to Michael Schrag, the current president and CEO. On the bank's materials, they proudly tout the line, not for sale. Uh, they're, they're very proud of this accomplishment. They've been touting it a lot through like an advertising campaign. You can go, for instance, to like the Centier building in downtown Gary. They've got big banners out saying, you know, we're now the largest bank in northwest Indiana. They have a lot of this at their... Uh, 
across their branches. Some of the it has some of the um, aspirational stuff on a lot of promotional materials, people climbing mountains, things of that sort. But they're they're quite proud of this accomplishment with their market share, and it says something about you know in the community we've we've seen a lot of the local like the Star Plaza is going away, Peerless Potato Chips is going away. You know there was a threat that Track and Van Til might go away. We've been losing a lot of. Um, you know, our local institutions, but this is one case where something, you know, a business, an establishment that's been around in Northwest Indiana for more than a century is kind of like triumphed and succeeded. And now, you know, they're sitting atop the throne with uh, the market share. There's upsides and downsides to both ends when choosing who you want to bank with. A big bank could offer familiarity, as certain names like Chase, Fifth Third, and Wells Fargo are seen many places you may travel. Thus, there's multiple chances to have access to your bank account with all their ATMs or branches. They might offer brokerage services if you're eyeing some investment opportunities. And many have mobile apps that allow you to make deposits, transfers, and more just all in the palm of your hand. Community banks don't have the same profit margins as national entities, and the compliance costs of the Dodd-Frank financial reform law has reportedly weakened them. However, on the flip side, local banks have a homegrown service that a bank in New York might not be able to do as well as your local bank down the street. You might be more likely to receive that loan and better negotiate it from someone who knows you or your community well versus someone that's transplanted from the East Coast to the Midwest and must stick to a formula and hard line. You also may not encounter the same fees for checking accounts at local banks that you might with a national bank. But I wanted to see what I could find out from the horse's mouth. So I asked if I could be granted an interview with Michael Schrag himself. I was. So I went to the main headquarters in Merrillville. Hello. Um, just great. Uh, I'm Kale. Welcome from the Times. I'm here to see my truck. Okay, great. Um, if you don't mind signing in for me. Sure thing. I've got to admit, I was really excited about this interview. Michael is not only one of the big movers and shakers of this area, but this whole story about Centir, even to this day remaining family-owned, the fact that he's the fourth-generation person to be at the helm is, I feel, very neat. So I wanted to ask him, what's it like being a Shrag? Or at least, what was it like growing up as one? Well, the Shrag family was a very prominent family in Whiting in the mid-1800s, so one of the founding families. So uh, when I was born, it was like, da-da, there's the next president of the Bank of Whiting. And uh, kind of had that uh, tattooed on my forehead uh, from time of birth. Uh, and uh, sometimes you react uh, a bit negatively to it. Uh, uh, young kid, boy growing up in the 50s, uh, doesn't really want to be a bank president. Uh, Mickey Mantle was my hero. Uh, so, you know, baseball was big back then. And so all I wanted to do is play baseball, basketball, those kind of things. And farthest thing from my mind was continuing a, uh, a family legacy. And maybe it might be easy to assume that as a new member of a family involved with banks, he had a cushioned lifestyle, right? Well, he was well off. But he says his parents didn't act like or expose him to that. Much to my parents' credit, um, they brought me up uh, pretty frugally. Uh, and uh, they, having both uh, witnessed part of the Depression, the Great Depression, I think were influenced by that. And, and so uh, 
we lived in Whiting until uh, about 1956, about eight years there, and then transferred over to Robertsdale. Um, both areas very um, manufacturing, blue-collar communities. I mean, we weren't on the street with the doctors, the lawyers, and you know, people like that. And so, uh, you know, all the people I hung around were, you know, uh, uh, siblings of, uh, you know, workers, and. Uh, so we never, it, it was an opportunity for me to appreciate uh, a, a mm, I guess a, should I say, a, a way of life that wasn't overly influenced by country clubs and VIP events and things of that nature. Next, I wanted to ask him if, in his opinion, that the Great Recession indeed was a point in recent history that helped Centir get over the hump to achieve the number one spot. Michael said yes, but also no. Um, and certainly early in the recession, end of 08, 9, 10, um, we, uh, we garnered many accounts from Chase and some of the non-local banks. Um, you know, the, one of the biggest advantages of a local community bank is relationships. Uh, it's hard to get, get that and keep that with a mega bank. Uh, to me, it was a uh, significant eye-opener for a lot of businesses, uh, family and private businesses and that, that, you know, Centir was still lending. They didn't draw a line in the sand and say, we're just not gonna be doing any loans. You know, there's, the, the sky's falling. Uh, we stayed with our clients, um, you know, including developers and builders who had it pretty rough during that one. Uh, the losses we took were a little later on uh, because, um, you know, uh, with no, uh, no, no lot sales and no, no builders building houses or buying houses, eventually their cash flows and everything dry up. But most of them were pretty, you know, relatively strong uh, uh, business people and most of them were able to make it that first year, that second year. Had some fallout in the third and fourth years as they just, you know, ran out of, of funds and availability. And uh, so our losses were a little later. Once again, there's that notion about the importance of local relationships. On that note, Michael made a comment about how the hiring practices at Centier go. If people don't fit the culture here at Centier, they don't get a second interview. It doesn't matter how smart they are, how much business they can bring us. I've turned down presidents of other banks who've wanted to work for me, and I said, no, you're just not going to fit in. And they say, well, but I can bring you all this business. I said, yeah, but you're not going to feel good working among the type of people we have, and they're not going to feel comfortable working for your personality profile style. It's just not going to work. And uh, you know, as a, a younger man, in the, you know, when I started in the 70s and 80s, I would have grabbed that person, you know, it was all about growth, uh, you know, growth in the size of the bank, growth in the profitability, the stock price, number of branches, on and on and on. That's all it was for me in the 70s and 80s. Um, you know, I've fallen down a few times uh, on my way um, because when you get um, overly influenced by growth and the numbers, uh, you tend to maybe overlook um, 
you know where you're going and you're growing too fast or you're taking you're trying to take advantage of every opportunity that's out there uh, versus just the, the right ones for you and uh, it was a very hard lesson for me to learn uh, which I did in the 80s and uh, you know went through some other periods of, of my journey um, that I'm a better person for the banks a better place for that's interesting he says that that there were some bumps along the way Centier has expanded branches as far east as Fort Wayne and as far south as Lafayette. But Michael did note where some difficulties came up. And we tried offices and have tried, you know, head offices in Laporte and Plymouth, uh, somewhat as outposts, and, and learned from that a little bit that maybe this, let's just go to the next county, 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 uh, maybe isn't the right strategy for us. Uh, because what was happening with the overall world and economy is the rural areas were losing population, you know, farms were consolidating, uh, so they were big agricultural operations. Um, the small towns were, uh, you know, boarding up windows left and right. And we say, well, you know, maybe our future and a lot of the future of people here will be more centered in the population centers. The question that was on my mind, though, was how is the pursuit of growth matched with maintaining a local flavor? In the case of Centier's story, Michael made it clear he wanted to keep the bank, at least for now, as far as we can tell based on his word, an Indiana entity. But the culture of Northwest Indiana is a little different than that of Fort Wayne or Lafayette. So in theory, if Centier keeps growing and growing and one day there's offices as far south as Jeffersonville on the Ohio River, what course would Centier take? Does it decide to once again try and go into another state? That's why I wanted to reach out to another top entity around here. The third largest, in fact, Horizon Bank. Based out of Michigan City, Horizon has around $1 billion in local deposits, and almost 8% of the local market share. But unlike Centier, the bank seems to have found some success in LaPorte County and some of the more rural settings of northern Indiana. And it recently has been integrating plans of expanding into Michigan and Ohio. So I made a visit to the main office in Michigan City. I was granted an interview with Thomas Edwards the chief crediting officer for Horizon. Well, what makes it fun is that we, our success, we've grown uh, over the last 18 years tenfold. Uh, when I started with the bank in 1999, we were $350 million in assets, and we're now $3.2 billion. LaPorte County does have quite a bit of agriculture. If you look at the county domestic product, if you want to call it that, uh, last I knew ag was about 40% of LaPorte County's domestic uh, product, which is pretty significant. We have, uh, we try to meet that credit need in the in South County, and um, we also, with our acquisitions over the eastern part of the state, um, we have about a hundred million dollars in agricultural loans now. I would say probably 15 to 20 million of that would be Laporte County. Geographically, the bank is already in a position to easily garner clients in southwest Michigan. Recently, it did announce it was acquiring Wolverine Bank, based in Midland. The community bank has branches that stretch from Grand Rapids to Detroit. 
Like Centier, Horizon also has offices in Fort Wayne, but made a choice to leapfrog to Columbus, Ohio to open a loan office. This is what I'm getting at. Horizon also has a local history rooted in Laporte County, and it's taken a similar expansion path in Indiana like Centier. But now it's also deciding to extend out to the Great Lakes State and the Buckeye State, two different areas and cultures. I asked Tom my question about how one balances local flavor and the natural path of a business to grow. He had an interesting answer. We want to continue to grow because honestly successful organizations do two things well. They grow and they grow profitably. So um, we want to continue to do that because what that does, we're a publicly traded company. It returns value to our shareholders. I mean, ultimately, that's who we we have to report to is our shareholders. And to bring them value, we need to grow and grow profitably uh, so that their stock appreciates and they get dividends and things of that nature. So regardless of where we go, we our, our identity that we want to portray, and, and hopefully we're successful doing it, is that we have uh, we hire people that already live in the community. They know the people in the community where they work. And that we are committed to delivering exceptional service and sensible advice. So uh, it doesn't matter if it's LaPorte, Indiana or um, Lansing, Michigan, that's the image that we want to portray. Uh, when we expand, we, if it's by acquisition, we normally keep the leaders on board because they're the ones that are uh, well-connected in the communities. Uh, and if we expand um, without an acquisition, well, we t tend to hire local people that are already there and connected in the community and uh, have them basically grow their branch or office from scratch. But it's always local people. We don't train somebody in Michigan City and then send them off to Grand Rapids or Lansing or anything of that nature. It's not one, you know, our roots uh, in Michigan City go back to 1873, and we're proud of that. But as we expand, people in other communities really probably don't care about that. They care about who they're dealing with at the bank that, that's serving them. So. Tom also included that expansion is something that will, interestingly enough, help keep the local base strong. And you know, as we expand into different areas, it usually means we have to hire more people here because so much of the operations uh, is centralized. Uh, so that creates more job opportunities locally, which is good. And um, you know, we, uh, like Centir, we're committed to stay independent. We don't want to be acquired. And how do you do that? Well, you have to earn your stripes every day. You've got to go out and uh, be profitable, grow, return a good value to your shareholders. And so we're proud of the fact that we were able to do that from really modest beginnings, right? Small bank, small town. And we've uh, been able to successfully expand that and so far achieve all the goals that we've been after. So. Many years down the line, we'll have to wait and see what becomes of Centier and Horizon, and truly just how far they end up going. Their continued legacies are marked by the decision-making relevant to different time periods, as well as community and cultural attitudes. One of the last things I asked Michael Schrag was related to that. 
Do you ever think to yourself, if Henry Schrager were here, what what would he think of all of this? He would. He would. Uh, you know. <laughs> well, he'd be proud. He'd be proud of me. Um, you know, he, as I said, was the entrepreneur. You know, uh, saw the opportunity to buy swampland in Whiting, uh, open the first general store, you know, because they didn't have one, and the railroads came there, and people needed provisions. Then they asked him to be the postmaster uh, to start the post office. And then with the swamps that he had bought up around there in the land and the dunes, Standard Oil came in, the Rockefellers, and bought that. And that's what he started the bank with. When you look at all the other banks around here, you know, they're all post-recession, Great uh, Depression-type banks. Uh, but he, uh, he was very um, uh, committed, I guess, and uh, as I am, to Centir is my family, uh, and uh, they're one and the same, and it's, it's not for sale. I mean, people, when I, we first came out with that, said, well, you can't tell me that if Chase came in here and offered you $10 billion for your bank, you wouldn't sell it. I said, yes, that's what I'm telling you. And, you know, they said, no way, you know. And I said, it's family. I mean, what price do you put on family? I mean, you go, go and sell your sister or your brother or, your, you know, you just don't, you know, there's no price. And that's the way I feel here. I mean, they, these people are part of my extended family. And uh, I would never sell it out from under them for any price. Byline is a production of the Times of North Ocinianna. You can find all of our episodes at nwi.com slash podcasts. Byline is also on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can just type in NWI Byline in the search bar and we should pop up. If you've got a media player and want to download our episodes or just listen on the go, Byline is available on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. We just kindly ask that you rate us and leave a review because it actually really helps. And we like to hear from you, whether that's constructive comments, feedback, or suggestions for topics you'd like to hear more about. You can just drop an email to kale.wilk at nwi.com. Reporting for this week's episode came from Joseph Pete and myself, Kale Wilk. We'd like to thank Michael Schrag and Thomas Edwards for taking time to be interviewed for this episode. Last but not least, the big thanks goes to Summer Moore, the Times' digital and audience engagement editor, and Byline's creator, She's otherwise known as this podcast executive, overseeing our flavor and expansion as we progress along. I'm K.O. Wilk, and from the Times of North Ocinianna, thank you for listening. See you next time.